the usual fed for me, you know, like we're going to do one thing, but we've got to say something else that makes sure that, you know, panic doesn't ensue and people don't go running to the streets to buy gold and silver. <laughs> Well, hello there, my friends. Chris Marcus here with you for Arcady Economics, and we are talking silver once again today. Joined by my dear friend Steve Cope of Silver Viper Minerals, who is going to attempt to shed some light on some of the fascinating dynamics that are going on in the silver market. We're recording on Tuesday, June 20th, where by the time this airs on Wednesday, I'm sure everyone will still remember that we had quite a dip in the silver price once again. Uh, with it, the main cause being apparently just that the COMEX Open, which has really been the case uh, quite a bit over these past couple of weeks, seen a lot of uh, slams with heavy volume on the Open. We did have housing starts were better than expected, which I suppose uh, some people could be factoring in as the driver for that. But um, interesting to see silver down these days a little bit, especially in the midst of the things that are not making silver easier to come to the market while we're in the middle of a deficit as well. So, Steve, it's great to have you on here as always, and uh, we'll dig into these. And how, how is everything going with you today? It's it's going all right, Chris. You know, this this market, we continue to always bang our heads against the walls. We see what's happening and then see what's happening to silver. But, you know, it's, it's an interesting time, and, you know, I'm sure we're going to dive into some things today. But there's definitely a lot going on out there that still show why silver... It's going to have its moment. We all just have to be patient. Yeah, and certainly one of those we'll dig into, which we've talked about before, of whether we're heading towards, as it's like on one hand, you think, all right, well, something happens, the things will get resolved, we'll have a steady silver supply going forward, although we've talked about many of the reasons why it seems to be more and more perhaps in jeopardy and we'll dig into another one today although obviously uh wanted to start with the federal reserve i know you're a big fan of jerome powell <laughs> and everything that's been going on out there we did have the pause i guess they like to refer to it as a skip um but curious your thoughts that where we finally did see a pause in the interest rate hiking cycle last week suggesting perhaps that there now may be two more hikes later this year but uh, any thoughts on what we saw out of the Fed last week? It's the usual Fed for me. You know, like we're going to do one thing, but we've got to say something else that makes sure that, you know, panic doesn't ensue and people don't go running to the streets to buy gold and silver. <laughs> it's, you know, let's pause. Okay, we're pausing or we're skipping, like you say, but we're going to do two more. And yet we, you know, as we talked about last time, it's, we've already seen the pressure they're putting on their banks by raising rates to the point where banks are going under. So if you're going to raise rates, you're going to continue to put pressure on them. You're going to continue to print money to bail them out as you know, they, these banks can't afford to meet and people are going to be panicking and making a run on those banks to get their capital out. So yes. Okay, fine. They want to do two more rate hikes that way. It's still not going to stop inflation because we've seen, you know, what's in those inflation and that, that raising rates doesn't stop you know, what's driving inflation. So, you know, that, that raising rates can hurt housing. So, you know, it can, yes, it can bring inflation down on the housing side, but it's not going to change anything that's happening on the oil side. And it's not going to change anything that's happening in your grocery stores on your goods, because by raising rates, you're actually driving those prices up higher. So where is this going to stop? I mean, I, we were laughing. I saw Canada pulled out DVD players from 
you know, their inflationary target. And I was like, well, is that, that's, that's been keeping the inflation number down because people haven't bought a DVD player in a decade and yet. Here we go. We're taking that out of the, the mix, I guess DVD players couldn't go down any lower. So it wasn't helping their inflation numbers anymore, but um, it's, 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 we know the inflation numbers are made up and they, you know, the basket of goods that they put in them, they manipulate and, you know, as an excuse, they're using it to raise interest rates. But again, you can't raise interest rates because of the pressure it's putting on their banks. So fine, if we're going to do two, you're going to do two this year and then you're going to lower rates quickly because you need to, we'll see. But again, it's just putting off the inevitable and we know what's coming. So we have to be patient. Yeah, and especially one of the things I continue to think will be challenging as we go forward this year. We've all read a lot about the issues in the commercial real estate sector, where a lot of that debt is coming due, set to be rolled over at higher rates. We've read stories about some of these uh, builders just handing over the keys to the banks. And obviously, a lot of that debt is owned by some of these regional banks. So not an ideal situation there. And you mentioned how Fed talked about in their uh, dot plot, perhaps two more rate hikes this year, which I think was a little surprising to the market. Although here's something else that uh, I wanted to make sure people saw and love to get your comment on, because here's Jerome Powell in his press conference afterward, which I, I'm sure you watched and were, were riveted by uh, quite, quite exciting testimony. Although he did have this one uh, interesting comment here that, Got 30 seconds, so I'm going to play this one, and then we can see what you think about that. In our SEP, participants wrote down their individual assessments of an appropriate path for the federal funds rate based on what each participant judges to be the most likely scenario going forward. If the economy evolves as projected, the median participant projects that the appropriate level of the federal funds rate will be 5.6% at the end of this year. 4.6% 4, 4 at the end of 2024, and 3.4% at the end of 2025. So here, once again, you see they're talking about rate hikes, uh, gone out of their way to say that there are not going to be any cuts coming, except that their own data shows that the cuts, they expect the cuts to come. It's not my opinion or your opinion, uh, expecting cuts, apparently, in 2024, when they have the projection lower and more cuts in the year after that. Um, any thoughts on how that factors into our equation here? Well, that's what we all expect. I mean, that's, you know, maybe not the this year. I mean, fine, we'll, we'll talk about the two rate hikes this year. But that was the expectation before that announcement was we need to be cutting by the end of this year and then continue to cut. And I mean, the IMF came out and said it. The IMF said, you know, all these big you know, tier one of these top countries, we expect them to go back to 0% or negative interest rates because they can't, we, they, they can't exist up at these higher interest rates. And historically these rates aren't even that high, but it's just given the stress and where these economies are at, the, they, these rates aren't sustainable. So it doesn't surprise me because that's what everyone has been expecting is going to happen for years. And it, I love that little tidbit. Oh, yeah, we don't, I think he said, well, we're not going to lower rates for two years. And then their own data says, well, actually, we expect to lower next year. Great. Well, that is how these things often go. Although something else that happened last week that was interesting, your very own Bank of Canada had a somewhat unexpected rate hike. We've seen, uh, we also saw another rate hike from the European Central Bank. 
and something that would you could say theoretically affect gold and silver prices where if some of these other banks continue to hike with gold and silver often trading inversely to the dollar index uh, and they're going to keep raising interest rates and it's pretty interesting here you see uk inflation coming in at 7.8 percent as they're measuring over the past 12 months here in the eurozone annual inflation 6.1 percent in may uh, down from seven percent in april so still some pretty high in, uh, inflation rates that they're experiencing in the u.s the government numbers showing things are down quite a bit over the past year but leaves a lot of these other central banks in the position where you would think that they probably have some more rate hikes to come relative to whatever the fed ends up doing yeah i know i i you know europe and and england they i mean they've they've lagged on the rate hikes relative to north america so i'm not i i guess you would still expect them you know i think they're lagging us by about 6 months to a year canada surprised me having you know living here canada i think is more targeted on housing you know we 30% of our roughly 30% of our inflation is pegged to the housing market. And we've, our government here has really tried to crack down on making housing more affordable and and not succeeding at that. But, you know, they, when the, when it came out, the Canada and the U S you know, we're looking at, you know, be pausing and lowering rates. All of a sudden we saw an instant rebound in our housing market and people got confidence and started buying myself included and and then um you know all of a sudden yeah there was a surprise rate hike there and and that's where the rate hikes in canada really targeting inflation is around our housing market it's obviously it hasn't affected us we all go to the grocery store and we see you know the packaging and the size of goods shrinking while the prices are going up and and so that side of the inflation it hasn't helped at all but the the housing side is definitely where they've been targeting the inflation in canada and i think that's been on our, our, there's been pressure on our government for a very long time to try and lower housing prices to make it more affordable. It's just, you know, a lot of our housing market and the prices that people see are based around Vancouver and Toronto. And those markets, you know, seem to be immune to massive pullbacks in prices. They're desirable economic hubs. We've, you know, in BC here, we've paused foreign buying, but there's all sorts of ways around that for two years um and so we had a pullback from the crazy highs that we had but then housing prices the last three four months started to rebound and come back and as buyers were getting confidence coming back in the market and so they had they i think that's why they made the decision here to raise the rates again because they saw that that wasn't helping their inflation numbers when it's housing is 30 percent of it and all of a sudden it's starting to go right back up again the u.s the u.s has been a bit different because their banks your mortgage rate isn't necessarily tied directly to your fed funds rate where in canada like are you know those rates directly affect your mortgages we we've watched in the us where mortgage rates were actually coming down last year and that wasn't the case in canada every time one of these rate hikes happen our mortgage rates have gone up and up and up and up um and i've always been surprised because i thought the banks would be you know they've always won want to have their money lent out and in Canada they're much stricter on how they give their money out versus the banks and the type of mortgages that we give here how much we have to put down on down payments it's they are very strict but our Canadian banks I think have heard of gun trouble because they were starting to invest in things that had exposure to the U.S. real estate market which created some concerns and in investors that were looking at our banks but again the the interest rate that was surprising in Canada 
wasn't a surprise that the U.S. paused. What was a surprise, like you said, was the announcement that we expect two more hikes this year. But then out of the other side of their mouth, like you said in the last video we watched that we see, but next year we expect it to drop by a percentage. So we'll see what happens. I mean, the Fed does this. They've done this my entire career. They say one thing and you say it should be positive, but as soon as they get a chance to speak, you know, they try and represent the opposite side to balance things out and and not let things or people, you know, go running and, and continue to run when it comes to precious metals. Well, that does seem to be the trajectory of the Fed. Obviously, <laughs> the inflation was transitory, uh, turned out to not be the case. And will be interesting to see how they handle that uh, all going forward. Um, unfortunately, it seems somewhat unfortunate to me that that does end up having such a significant impact on the gold and silver markets, often divorcing them from some of the underlying fundamentals. And Steve, one that I wanted to bring up to you here, I found this interesting. I hadn't seen this before, but this was from the USGS. and. Obviously, we've talked about the deficit in the silver market, how the current price is not really bringing a lot of money into the sector for new projects. And they were pointing out how some of the reserves are getting low. In particular, here's Mexico, 37,000 tons going through about 6,000 a year. Uh, obviously, with Silver Viper, you're involved in Mexico. Curious, anything that you could add, this would suggest, and I've seen some people write that on pace to run out of silver in Mexico in six years, obviously a higher price, different government regulations can change that reserve number uh, along with more exploration. But does this seem about right to you or uh, any thoughts on just how yeah. little reserves they're, they're showing in this study here? It was a bit surprising that the number was that low on the reserve side, but but when you look at what's happened over the last five years in Mexico, it's probably not. It probably shouldn't be surprising. I mean, we went through COVID, we saw expiration slow down and not happen a ton, and then now the last year plus with you know our metals market being just hammered, very little expiration has been done. People have been going into a shell and stopping expiration. And then on top of that, you the uncertainty of the Mexican government and this AMLO regime and, and the new laws that they're trying to enforce in the mining sector on, and it's going to continue. You're you're going to see less exploration in Mexico. You know the companies that are already there and established are a little bit sheltered from it, but it's going to deter new companies from signing up and getting new claims and trying to come in and operate in Mexico. So that's. Pretty, it's a kind of because it's definitely a concerning number. You know, this is the number one silver producer in the world, and the reserves are depleting. Now, those those mines that are in production, they'll continue to drill and they'll they'll add to those reserves as they mine. But seeing that reserve versus some of the other reserves in the world, um, that that should be very concerning, especially if you're you know these electric car manufacturers and the people that are building infrastructure to support them, the solar panels. You know this this green movement. Here's your number one silver producer that's running out of reserves. So let's go to number two, and you know China. Well, I guess we've taken over with China as the number two producer of the world. But again, that's let's take that right out of the equation because none of that mineral is going to go anywhere else in the world but China. So if you're trying to produce again, if you're an American company looking for a product, you're not going to get any exposure to any of that. Then you go to Peru. Well, Peru is even worse off politically than Mexico. Um, you can throw Chile into the mix there. I mean, that's 
pretty much a write-off now <laughs> as far as you're going to get it as a byproduct, but you're not going to see anything new happening there. You've got a healthy reserve in Australia, but again, that's never really been Australia's focus. Australia's always been focused more around the gold side. And again, you probably with those reserves need a higher silver price to make them, you know, mineable. And then, so you mentioned like, that's kind of the, what, what we've talked about a lot is, is a lot of this silver for it to get put into production and to be targeted. We need higher silver prices. You know, it's fine as a byproduct for all the gold companies. And when you're getting silver as a byproduct along with gold, because gold's hanging in there and, and can be economic at these prices, though those margins are thinning there as well. But silver in the twenties doesn't make you a lot of money, especially as a primary silver mine, unless you've got some insane grade that, most mines in the world don't have as the primary silver producers, you know, what are, where's it going to come from? And that's what we've talked about a lot is forget all the rest of the noise that we see out there. The simple fact is if the world wants silver, the world's going to have to pay for silver and they're going to have to pay a lot more per ounce to justify bringing on a lot of these projects that, you know, aren't included in these reserves because, you know, under, you know, at least in the North American companies under 43101 in Canada, we can't report resources anymore that aren't economic. And this is saying reserve. So granted, if that's a reserve that's gone through all the other levels and it absolutely has to be economic, you know, that's not including any of the additional resources that are probably sitting in measured, indicated and inferred under our 43101 standards. That'll just be proven improbable. But um, so there's, there are a lot more ounces above that that, people could say are economic that would be additional. And so it would be an interesting second column above and beyond the reserves to see what the resources are in those countries that have been reported under proper filing terms. But again, I mean, it's the world, the reserves are depleting, the resources are depleting. There's less and less new projects found. And a lot of the ones that are found need higher metals prices to be economic before someone's gonna be have confidence to put them and spend all the money it takes to put something in production. So. The simple laws of supply and demand, these prices have to go up, especially given the green movement, all these new uses for silver. We're already operating a deficit, and you and I were talking about solar and how all of a sudden they're using more silver and solar panels now because they, it's just it's needed to make them run more efficiently. And, and again, they're reevaluating the numbers of how much silver is going to be consumed in solar moving forward, yep. and it's going up, and, and yet the production is not. So what are we going to do? The only thing you can do is have the prices run and go up and bring on new stuff that wasn't economic before. Although to what degree is this a matter of price? I mean, have we reached a point where we're at peak silver? I mean, is this a matter of the price being higher that there is a lot more silver to be found out there? Or have we reached a point where a lot of the larger deposits are, have already been found and we're going to be getting, even with a higher price, smaller amounts going forward. It's still harder. I mean, you have existing deposits that have been found that aren't economic, you know, that that right off the bat, yes, raising price will bring those into production or things that, you know, we're on the fence. Should we do this? Should we not do this? If you have a sustained significantly higher price, okay, now it becomes a no-brainer. Let's bring those under production. As far as finding new deposits, most of the easy ones to find have been found, you know, you in especially in these countries, stuff that's at surface, you see outcrop, those have been found. You know, there's you've got to go more off the beaten path now 
And, but by doing that instantly, you know, your costs are going to be higher. So you've got to have a, a, a higher cost that gives people confidence that if they do go off the beaten path and find something that it's going to be economic, it's still not going to be at the same level of what we've seen over the, you know, the past, you know, hundred years, it is harder, harder to find stuff. So we're either going to go into countries that people were never able to go into before or weren't going into before to look for, you know, new deposits um, that's going to be tough because obviously there's lots of politics involved in that, but it is harder, but you can, if you have higher prices, you can go find additional silver. You can go find new deposits. There's going to be some that are undercover and, and maybe, I don't know what, I mean, we still don't have that magical technology that lets us just scan what's under the earth's surface and say, that's a big silver deposit. You know, there's maybe we'll get to that point, but in my career, the, the technology hasn't changed that much. You know, you've had improvements that give you better readings on changes of magnetics and other things, but you've still nothing that says, okay, you know, 300 meters down, there's a million ounces of silver sitting there. That, that magically doesn't exist. The only thing that proves that up is a drill rig. So yes, there'll be, there'll be additional deposits undercover and technology at some point could change that, but and there's nothing on the horizon that I've heard of that's, going to change and make that easier to find deposits so no in the near term there's not a lot that can be done other than having the price run and giving people confidence to go into areas they were never willing to go into before and then bring in those stuff that you know has been found that is an economic that will be put into production and are you able to give any sort of ballpark to put things in context of some of these projects that are out there at what point do they become economically feasible? Obviously, there's a wide range of prod projects, but I mean, is it $30, $40, $50? Is there even a- 30 is a good starting point. 30 is a good starting point. And then that, that scale grows depending on the deposit. But there are deposits that would need $50 silver before they're economic. There's deposits probably need more than that. And then especially as we talk about inflation um, and, you know, moving forward and what that's going to do to costs and people's labor and what they need to be paid and, you know, off the beaten path. Okay. We're talking about infrastructure. We're talking about power lines being put in roads, being put in whatever, you know, depending on the situation, what do you have to do for water? If you're, you know, in Chile, you're having to set up desalination plants and pump the water all the way from the coast. Oftentimes, you know, massive distances because politically they can't get along with Argentina and and bring you know stuff from that side of the border so it's there's all sorts of complications depending where you are in the world and what's happening and that are and and the costs can exponentially grow in any of those places depending on your situation but that's what it's going to take yep well that's uh, certainly why we continue to focus on that as we have these discussions one last note I wanted to pull up here. This was from a report from Crescat Capital, which is obviously very involved in the mining sector. And they were talking about some of the majors, um, how even at the higher price, the sales per share are pretty much have not grown. And they mentioned lack of vision among industry leaders is apparent. It's imperative that investors start demanding these companies to redirect their focus towards production growth and resource expansion laying the groundwork for early stage mining businesses. And then they mentioned down here, uh, let me, yes, there we go. 
Majors have abdicated greenfill drilling and discovery to the smaller exploration companies, but there are limited, limited capital markets to serve them. Is this going to, uh, at some point, force money to come back into that junior segment of the market? Obviously, that's a segment that's been beaten up pretty thoroughly over this past year. Uh, we've seen some of the uh, bigger companies in the mining space rebound a little bit more, whereas it's been a tough year for the juniors and the explorers. Is, is that something that we're just simply along with what you were talking about before of, of needing to find more of these minerals is, is that a segment that really we're going to have to see some money flow into at some point? Yeah. And it's what always happens. I mean, when, when, a, when a sector starts to rebound the capital, when it first pours in, pours into the majors first and foremost, and then as you have sustained, gains there which they haven't really had yet um that investment starts to trickle down and trickle down but what definitely has been lacking over the last even more than a year i mean let's say five ten years is the the majors haven't redeployed their capital into the juniors themselves which is also an important part of financing the junior space and as the money is dried up amongst all the funds um, because they haven't had their inflows Normally in these markets, it's the the producers that step in and start financing the juniors and the producers haven't, they've done it a little bit, but they haven't been doing it at the same level they've done in the past yet. And that comes and you can see it, you know, as, as metal prices move up and these guys, you know, but they're, they're losing, their reserves are going down. We just looked at the reserve chart and the only way they're going to replace those is by investing in juniors getting the juniors to find something. And then, you know, ultimately the seniors willing to pay more for what the junior finds because the juniors de-risked it. The seniors have been terrible explorers throughout their history. They, they're they good at building mines. They're good at running mines. But it's always been the junior explorers that are the ones that go find new projects for the most part. I mean, there's the odd case where the producer runs into something or finds something or gets lucky. But the best exploration geologists in the industry have always worked for the junior mining companies and are the ones that are willing to take the risk to go in and spend the time and the capital to drill something that's never been drilled, to really dive into the rocks and look at things. So, again, we need metals prices, we need money to come back in, excitement to come back into the space, and to really get the juniors fired up again to start drilling, start being aggressive, going out and testing things. We need capital to flow to our space to finance those activities. Yeah, and uh, taking a quick look at the SILJ, obviously here uh, you can see back in March of last year, we had silver around $26, a little bit lower, but quite uh, almost the, the price of the mining and junior miners index about, let's call it a third lower from 1408 down to 933. So. Uh, seems like a sector that is going to have its day when that comes. Uh, I, I get it. A lot of people are certainly cautious when they see Tuesday charts that look like this <laughs> and scares people away a bit. Although for the reasons that we've been discussing, you'd think that there would be some sort of repricing of that sector going forward. So Steve, uh, perhaps before we wrap up though, you could give us an update on how things are coming along at Silver Viper Minerals. Obviously you've been, focused on El Ruby and some of the other targets like El Molino that you have in there and continue to do some work on. And perhaps you could just give folks an update of how things are coming along there. 
Yeah, no, I mean, we've, we've, we've just got our renewed all of our environmental permits. So we've got another five years of environmental permits to drill, you know, all over the entire project. Um, we're planning, we're getting ready and gearing up for a, a drill program to come right now. Um, so we're excited. We want to, and like you said, we'll be testing El Ruby and El Molino in that drill, the initial part of that drill program. So exciting times for, for the problem. You know, we haven't been drilling here for almost a year as we've been doing this large mapping, sampling, geophysics, all the different stuff to really, you know, understand how our different drilling targets tie together, all the results that we've had from drilling. And we're at a point now where we're ready to get back and start drilling those projects, try, starting to expand on the resource at El Ruby, make a new discovery at El Molino. Um, it's very it's exciting. It's been long overdue. Uh, obviously we'd like a better market and, you know, we'd want more capital and wanted, we've got a lot of things we want to drill and expand and, and go on. So, but we're going to do a small program here, um, moving forward, expect those results to be out kind of probably around the beginning of the, you know, September in that area, given lab wait times and everything else that are going on. But that El Molino target is very interesting. Lots of tightly spaced breaches and our breaches tend to be our high grade structures, El Ruby, we want to test um, our deep target that was identical. You know, part of that investment thesis of CrashCat and Clinton Heading was El Ruby. And what we're sitting on here is one of these gold carbonate based metal systems. So that will come in at a deeper contact below where our resource is at El Ruby. And, and there you can hit bonanza grades of gold, silver, and base metals. So again, testing El Ruby at depth is important, but also expanding the open pit of El Ruby both to the north and south. So and with that, we follow up, and by the end of the year, we'll have a resource update on the entire project. So, again, very exciting. Lots and lots of areas to test to make new discoveries, as well as expanding on our existing resources. Yeah, and in there, you mentioned the resource update, and I know that's something you've talked about before, hoping to have that out in the next 12 months, uh, along with perhaps a PEA. Is that still the plan and still on track going forward? Yeah, no, we definitely are, we're banking on doing a, a resource update. We've, you know, already know we've expanded that El Ruby pit by 300 meters to the south. So again, incorporating all of that, reworking some of the existing wireframes and bring, trying to bring in more of those high grade ounces that weren't included in the original resource. And then obviously with new drill programs expanding even further, you know, the zone along striking at depth. And then if we can make a new discovery, then start to delineate that and bring that into a new resource. And like I said, our first and top target right now is that El Molino area. So hopefully we can, you know, make a discovery. And then same as we did a Ruby, just systematically start stepping out along strike on that target and, and start to build a maiden resource on the El Molino area. And then on the back end of that, we'll be looking to do a PEA on the project as well, like you said. Well, definitely based on all the overall conditions going on in the market as well as in the junior sector seems like a bit of a sweet spot to be in as at least by everything I can calculate we're going to be needing some more silver resources out there so uh, we will look forward to seeing how things progress going forward and Steve before we wrap up could you just let folks know the best way if they do have questions would like to find out more how they can contact you yeah all the information is on the website www.silverbypermerals.com and then if you ever want to reach out, info at Silver Viper Minerals, those emails come to myself and Alicia. And then, yeah, more than happy to engage with our phone numbers on the website as well with our various um, ways of reaching different people within the company. So please don't hesitate to reach out. We're available to answer any questions and we love, love chatting with investors. 
Well, appreciate that, Steve. I know uh, people do appreciate that they can get in contact with you and hear back, which something that's nice about the mining sector as opposed to some of the other sectors in the market where good luck trying to uh, get in contact. But uh, only a month away from another Fed meeting, so we'll look forward to seeing what that has in store. I know you're you, you may you, you may have your Jerome Powell T-shirt on by then, and I know you're a big fan of his work there. But either case, great to catch up. Thanks for shedding some light on some of these dynamics going on. Um, it'll just be interesting to see five or ten years out how this is all played out. Uh, yes. Sometimes these things happen and people wonder, well, how could we have seen this before? And at least trying to identify something that seems to almost be setting the conditions where we will have to see some sort of change in the market structure and appreciate everything you're sharing and putting that in context. And great to catch up with you as always, my friend. Always great. Thanks, Chris.